there's a lot of emphasis that goes into getting a master's degree or getting a phd for okay. non-research machine learning roles and i yeah. think the industry is getting to see that you really don't don't need like a phd to work on machine learning products um or you don't need a master's to work on machine learning products so uh that's one thing that i think i kind of disagree with and then i think everything is starting to normalize around that so yeah Hello fellow data science enthusiasts, welcome to the Data Queries Podcast, where we talk about everything in the field of data science, from artificial intelligence, machine learning, and deep learning. And on today's episode, we have with me the young buying mind, Hapip Sopetru, which is a software engineer and machine learning engineer at Thomson Reuters Labs here in the United Kingdom. And we're going to be learning about his amazing experience and journey from a Bachelor of Engineering in Electrical and Electronics Engineering from the Federal University of Agriculture Apicuta in Nigeria to his present and current role here in the United Kingdom. Habib, welcome to the show. It's nice to be here, Emma. Thanks for having me. So Habib, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at Thompson Reuters Labs? Uh, my background, um, I studied electrical electronics engineering at the Federal University of Agriculture, a doctor uh, that's located in Nigeria. Um, the program ran for five years. Uh, so while running that program, I was also self-teaching myself most of computer science concepts. I think we had a couple of computer science courses as well as part yeah. of that, that particular program. Then um, I taught myself to write code in Python. I taught myself uh, most of machine learning fundamentals, uh, and then started working on projects as well. Uh, for my role at Thompson Writers, I'm currently working as as a machine learning engineer at the Thompson Writers Labs. Thompson Writers Labs is the applied research division of the company, and the objective is to see how um, machine learning and artificial intelligence can be integrated into existing company products or to build new company products so yeah well that's very interesting Habib I mean and I mean for some of our guests on the show will come also from I'll say different backgrounds in terms of let me say academic and career path to to the present role as data scientists machine learning and AI engineers so um, I would like to know I mean what triggered that interest in machine learning because i mean as you as you rightly said your background was in electronics engineering so and you taught yourself to program which is very interesting as most of i mean i'll say software engineers but what was that interest back in school that got you into software engineering and now machine learning uh, so i think it's mainly influenced from friends and family um, okay um my brother is a systems engineer and I have a cousin who is a software engineer as well. And then when I also uh, resumed at the university, there's a very active developer community at school. It used to be the Google Developer Group at that okay. point, but now it's the Google Developer Students Club. So in my college, uh, there are kind of um, a large number of people who are also part of that community. So it was easy to get influenced uh, positively. Okay by what they were doing and then they were also getting to build cool projects at that point so yeah i thought it would be nice to take a look at it uh before then i was already having interests gradually 
but then seeing the amount of work they were doing kind of put me to a bit seriously and that's how um i got started with uh software engineering um for how i got interested in machine learning um, my since i picked up python initially uh yeah. and then machine learning happens to be one of the uh commonly used applications of the language um, yeah, yeah. it was i think it was kind of natural to gravitate in that direction so okay. i basically started taking courses um i remember very well taking uh andrew's course on coursera i yeah, think a particular uh-huh. one in machine learning specialization I found that to be a bit difficult to pick up initially because it was math yeah. intensive so okay. so i struggled a bit but then okay use that resources as well so gradually uh because i came from learning uh, or be or, or being in the process of learning software engineering mm-hmm. i had more interest in building software uh, mm-hmm. and then also putting machine learning um integrations into that software so it kind of felt like okay. a good combination of both skill sets and i basically was pushing to learn both at the same time uh, i think because i was in school it was easy for me to to keep up with both because i did not have lots of external pressure to yeah. make money fast since it was basically my first year in university so i think i had about two to three years to pursue both both interests and then work on yeah. projects that were basically interesting to me yeah so it sounds, sounds really interesting i mean because like i think it all happens so when you're trying to learn i mean because you get to that point where sometimes it's like you're not understanding as you said with the case of the course in coursera and which was heavy and math intensive. But what I also find very interesting with you, I mean, and your experience is the fact that, I mean, most people take time to go into machine learning engineer, but within the short time of space in which you've been able to do that with schoolwork, I mean, like, I don't know how you manage that, but were there any, like, I don't, I would say like tips or ways that you were able to, because at the same time, you were also working. So how are you managing your time, managing your, I would say, time between school, learning and work, I mean, <laughs> That's too much. I mean, even though you say you never had pressure, but how do you achieve that? Uh, so I think at some point I took school out of my focus. Um, okay. I don't advise that. I don't yeah, advise yeah. that, but I, but I did that at some point. The weird thing is I still ended up with good grades because uh, I finished with a second class upper, okay, which yeah. is basically just one step away from the first class. So yeah. I have friends. The weird thing is I have friends who are able to do everything and then still come up the first class. Yeah. so that's i'm um, like i don't advise that because there are definitely ways to get everything working out together um yeah. for how i get, got that to work because as i said earlier because i took school out of the picture for a large part um i had a lot more time to focus on myself learning and yeah. then i was freelancing at that point as as a writer so um okay. i had lots of technical writing <laughs> gigs to work on so i think that kind of also helped because it helped broaden um yeah the type of exposed to a new was possible um for uh, i think i think that kind of covers how i did all of them uh for how i got to manage with school because i started school quite seriously in the first place before i before i started to take my feet off the pedal i had lots of good relationship with the people who were also taking school very seriously as I did in the first instance. So I got lots of assistance with being associated with them because they kind of understood most of the coursework much yeah. more, much faster. So by attending tutorials with them, um, 
getting to the assignments uh, with them kind of helped reduce the pressure on the on yeah. the school side. So I think it was it was kind of um, while it I wouldn't say it was fun, but I think it was not as stressful as as it mm-hmm. would possibly look like to someone on the outside because they had people I could associate with and yeah. benefit from uh, they being serious as well. So I think that kind of covers how I was able to manage everything up but then uh, i'd also like to say like it wasn't easy as well because i spent like lots of nights um watching courses uh and yeah. then with electricity challenges so <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah some nights that i would probably have to dedicate some parts of the night to taking yeah. courses because days were often for lectures so i think yeah. that's that's how it worked for me then well, but I mean, not to see to give you your flowers. I mean, you still able to still pull it off despite the challenges, and also, as you said, your friends were still there in for you. But I mean, a lot of, um, I would say, of the flowers and merit goes back to you putting in the effort. And you also brought up that point about technical writing, which was an experience you also have. I mean, <laughs> and I would like to like let me say, like elaborate on that. What was like technical writing? Why did it help you, or why do you think it better prepared you to see more opportunities? Because I also write technically and I also commission at point in time to write for register and I feel like sometimes when you write technically it also helps you let me say get some I'll say knowledge and exposure but in your part and as a machine learning engineer what were the things that we were doing there as you were writing that let me say better informed you towards this part and also prepared you technically too maybe okay. research learning you I don't know like just think yeah yeah I think I think looking looking back i really can't say i planned everything um to go as it went but then um since i started out before i even picked up languages i used to be quite good at writing in the first place uh, i used to do poetry so i kind of dropped poetry completely when i picked up um technical skills uh, then i started writing articles um across different fields from networking to web development uh things like that i don't remember writing any technical any actually technical email article but i okay. think i did write articles that kind of explain the machine learning concepts and things in that line but i think uh looking back now one of the things that experience did was it kind of took uh the fear of writing out of out of the picture because i knew i had done this like for yeah. for a long time so i did not consider writing to be of a challenge to me in any way if i wanted to write articles on the things i was learning it was very easy for me to do that because i put in the work initially so i th- i really don't know how it is for other people who do not feel very confident but i think that the lack of fear for certain things actually goes a long way because now you know you can actually do this thing uh, yeah. then for some for some reason i think it also improved my research skills because when you are writing you need to do lots of research and you yeah. use search agents a lot so while i really can't pinpoint the actual things that it helped with i think yeah. the entire the entire experience of getting involved and engaged yeah. in that activity helped, yeah. helped with um, my engineering career in a long way yeah anyway at the end of the show i'm sure you like to, to share some of let me say some of the resources you used to write some of the blogs and other things so that some of our listeners will benefit from that but moving on to our next i mean interest is about let me say what were some of the early projects that you did in the early days right as a machine learning engineer that let me say prepared you for the role in which you are because i mean where you are currently is one of the leading i'll say 
media firms in finance. Thompson Reuters is like the next level of, let me say, financial information and all that. So what were some of the early projects that you showed, like, let me say, where like, I'll say, prepared you in the better position in which you are today? Uh, so I think it's it's kind of hard to answer that question because because I've done like different projects and it's kind okay. of hard to to say specifically what what could have helped. But then there's one thing that that I often like to tell people, which is uh, just get to work on projects that interest you. So yeah. I mean, there are lots of problems around. It doesn't even have to be a serious problem. It could be something that's just funny, something like that, and kind of work on that, and then. You'd, you'd while doing that you get to learn the, the technicalities behind solving such problems you get to have hands and experience using the technologies you would use um then you can also share your work when you share your work get other people to see it some of the projects i worked on um two two months into learning to code i remember working on like a chat bot um, mm-hmm. that was supposed to pull that was supposed to help answer sports questions for example you wanted to know what the scores of a live match was you could do that through like yeah. a facebook bot okay. and i was pulling from daily mail at that point and it had no ml in it i was basically just linking direct <laughs> okay. words to yeah. to the action so it was basically just providing key uh direct um keywords to perform certain yeah. tasks um i also remember working on web crawling projects for example okay. pulling yeah. Pulling data from from e-commerce stores. Yeah. I did work on lots of freelance projects that were web crawling projects. So, to if if I were to look at it backwards, I think that bit kind of helped give me a good introduction into how you get data from actual sources, which is a key part to machine learning today. Because you can't do anything without data. So, getting to work with APIs, or getting to crawl uh, from web pages actually goes a long way. Um, I also got to work on a project for um, for getting news on certain things about the Nigerian uh, educational system. So there was a particular point there was uh, strike action okay. by the academic staff in Union of Universities. So I built like this simple web app that was pulling information about that particular strike from different platforms, different news. So it was creating all that data on one page and people could just visit that page and see what was the latest going on. Like it was fun, probably does not worth, worth a lot of money, but then it was fun and people liked it. Uh, that kind of helped build by web development bits. Um, so I think there are lots of various projects. Um, I also remember working on, um, remember working on a Twitter, a Twitter uh, bot basically it was supposed to find um duplicates so say you you make a tweet now then you want to see if someone else copied that tweet you could just tag the bot and it would find duplicates um of that particular tweet which is basically similarity checks uh on the machine learning side so i think as at that point those different projects interested me uh yeah. and i got to work on them at the moment i also have similar projects that i'm working on that yeah. i'm basically just picking up based on what i'm interested in so um as i said earlier i really can't pinpoint actual yeah. projects okay. but then i think i think somehow everything just ties together because yeah. it's coming from personal interests and yeah. then everything yeah. just gets to make sense so, yeah but even though you can't pinpoint but there's some beginner projects you feel like sometimes it's good to have when let me say on your portfolio on your github 
for the let me say sometimes big interest with employers when they're trying to let me say hire candidates are there some key advice in those kind of projects you may have insights on based on your experience and interviews yeah i think it's basically everything i've said so far build because if, okay. if if i were to, if, if i were to say work on this project or work on that project yeah i would not see if there's any difference between that okay. and then you just googling googling up yes. what yes, projects should you work on and then you just go work on that because i think if if you were to have an interview now then yeah. you are supposed to, you are supposed to answer questions on that project yeah. you would have it would make much more impact if it's a project you were actually interested in in the first place that yeah. there's a story behind why you worked on that project okay then if it's uh, to be a project that you just picked up exactly. um, if if you have no project ideas you can definitely just make some research and at least just work on something but yeah. i think the much more valuable projects are the ones that that you actually felt interested yeah. in working on and then you have a story behind them which you can yeah. share with others so i think that's the that's the key part behind whatever projects it is okay. you pick so it's not about like the quantity it's more like yeah. the quality um, exactly. behind it, so. yeah that's nice that's nice to hear for me because most of the time i mean people are always like asking which project and all that i mean but you already put it i mean your interest and the story behind and all that not actually let me say this particular project or that but just basically your interest should lead you and maybe the tools and everything you use now comes from that not the other way around and that's nice to reassuring to you for me and also about the project you're working on we spoke about last time our discussion the hackathon i mean how do you manage let me say work now and personal projects with hackathons like how do you get time is it like things you do on the weekend during the week i don't like how how does that play in your daily life um so i think uh, i personally don't have a lot of things doing aside work and personal activities uh, okay so the akathon itself was on a weekend which kind of experience where i was chanced to do that but then i personally have like a two hours a two hour slot in every day where okay. i do personal studies so if i'm to be working on a project i basically just fix that project into that personal study time slot and i always do that two hours study the first thing every day it doesn't happen every day because because it's i think it's kind of hard to do the same thing every day so there are some days that i kind of just split it but then i've been doing this for like two years now two hours every day and i've been i've learned like lots of things in that period so um when i get the two hour slots done i then focus on other activities such as work house stuff hanging out with friends and things like that it's 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 probably a lot or it could be small depending on who i'm speaking with but then mm-hmm. i think being consistent with how much time you put into into this um every day for yeah. like a year or two would actually go longer so i think that i've basically been able to to manage it uh two hours every day and then everything else kind of just works fine if i start the first two hours yeah okay okay very interesting and um some of our listeners are very curious i mean each time we always talk about let me say machine learning like what are some of the in terms of technology and tech stacks, right? What are some of the tech stacks that in your day-to-day role you use and some that you learned before? Maybe like I not actually find more value in your current role, but maybe we're helpful, let me say, in the foundational knowledge. So okay. have, uh, yeah. I think for a machine learning engineering role, yeah. um having an actual soft, software engineering experience goes a long way. Okay. So for me, I think the fact that I've worked with Project, uh, 
frameworks like Django, Flask, FastAPI, and the past has kind of helped in some way. Um, although I've not actually gotten to use them on in the job um, okay. for like my last two roles, but I've had a particular role that where I was working on a search project and I worked on the back end and the NLP bits. So it's easy to see how, how that um, knowledge of those back end frameworks fits in. And I think knowing those things also helps you get a get better picture of how REST APIs work. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes you'd have to plug your, your models into those APIs. So I think knowing at least the back backend library kind of helps. Um, on the machine learning bits, of uh, course, the field of machine learning is broad. So there's yeah. where you get to work with tabular data. Um, I have, I can work with tabular data, but out if anyone was asking, I'd say I have zero experience working with it because I do not yeah. put in any effort to even like try to understand how those things work because yeah. my main focus in very in like the last one two years has been computer vision and natural language processing. Okay. So for the computer vision and there are libraries like uh, SciPy, um, NLTK, mm-hmm. uh, Face Transformers, and everything in the Face ecosystem. Um, yeah. like PyTorch, TensorFlow, I uh, personally use PyTorch a lot. Um, not a lot, but then I use PyTorch lots more than TensorFlow, mainly yeah. because PyTorch has like a good relationship with Face ecosystem. So I think Face has kind of had this positive ripple effect on every other library that it's kind of adopts as well okay so i think those are like the main tools um then regular machine learning libraries pandas numpy um those are kind of very common yeah i've actually personally not used matplotlib i've not used matplotlib like more than 10 times if i'm actually counting okay so um python requests yeah yeah python requests is also something you use a lot when you're pulling data from your data sources um about fast AI, yeah. Fast AI, I've heard of that a lot, but I've personally not used it on any project in the past. Okay. Um. So I think those those are like the main tools. Then knowing how to use SQL. Yeah. Um. I've personally not used SQL like a lot of SQL in projects because because it's been mainly actual data engineers or data analysts that that have had to learn all of that technology. So I, I've mainly interface with databases using um orms okay so that's like object relational maps for databases so you really don't have to write the actual sql but there are okay. some times where you need to write the sql for some just ask something together and, yeah. and then now you need that knowledge so while i've not gotten to use sql a lot because i've learned it in the past and understand how most of these databases work simulational yeah. databases um graph databases and then no sql databases Mm-hmm. The knowledge always comes in handy every time, every yeah. time I need them. So, so I think those are like the main, the main tools. Um, what else? Uh, for the interface, say you are prototyping a tool. Um, I've used Streamlit a lot in the past. Um, I know there's, there's Dash. I think I've had teammates use Dash a lot in the past as well. Basically, okay. Dash, Dash, and um, Streamlit make mm-hmm. it easy for you to come up with with interfaces for your machine learning models and build fast apps um oh. and build apps fast more like <laughs> yeah, um, yeah using, the, using using those tools um so i think those are the, the main tools that oh. i've used that come easily to me for computer vision um the oh. main tools i've used for those have been pytorch as well um there is there is the tensorflow 
yeah. object detection library so mm-hmm. i think i've used i've used that a lot as well uh then there's one from facebook called detectron mm-hmm. yeah so i've used to detectron in the past okay. as well um so so i think most of these the circuit lens i think i think it's like a large ecosystem of this type yeah, of very large. Uh, <laughs> exactly so so it basically yeah. just depends on what task is it is you are working on um, exactly. what your team uses mm-hmm. um what fits in best so it's often not very difficult to it's it's difficult if you're just getting started because exactly. you, you can it's easy to get overwhelmed but then yeah. by the time you start picking each one up you don't mm-hmm. start you don't feel bothered if you don't know your library already because yeah. yeah you start gaining confidence in yeah. picking up something and just getting to use it if you know the, the fundamentals well enough so yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just to summarize that guys, I mean it's important as Habib said, like in terms of to get some background in software engineering, how the web functions and all that, because you build some foundational blocks to build an ML model and to learn other technological stacks. And Habib, I mean, going to your background still in the sense you have so much experience within this short time, <laughs> which is very impressive. So like which of these okay. companies, right? Or let me say mentors did you meet that actually had a profound interest. Or let me say impact in your career, maybe based on work the work you did in this company or this person, the a career advice he gave to you that let me say changed the trajectory or prepared you, let me say, into the current roles and opportunities in which you had at this present time. Um so I really can't say there's actual concrete advice that I can remember. But then okay. I, I actually think I've been lucky enough to to have worked with lots of really brilliant people even from all all of my internships and then my actual job oh, roles um yeah. so every company i've worked at i've had lots of great relationships from there okay. um and then they have mainly been either my direct managers or the software engineering leads of those teams um so i really can't say there's an actual advice uh that i've gotten career wise uh, mainly because i think for some weird reason i've been like i've been self-driving myself so okay. most times most times they often don't have to tell me a lot of things because <laughs> i basically i'm just moving in my own, in my own yeah. direction provided it's in line with what the company is doing and then yeah. the projects we are working on but then like i've i've been involved in say like five five or more um companies yeah uh, up to this point and then i think it's cool at the same, same time i mean let's mention that <laughs> yeah yeah so okay yeah, in terms of your experience and exposure you've had with these different companies as you're talking about and i've also mentioned the fact that we're doing all this coin all these holes in the past with school and we should, i mean we'll give you credit for that so like what are some of the things let me say from your own experience that you agree with the industry or with other practitioners right or some things you feel overrated in machine learning from your experience um some things i think i've already um oh you disagree i mean <laughs> i disagree with yeah uh, so personally i think there's a lot of there's a lot of um there's a lot of emphasis that goes into getting a master's degree or getting a phd for okay. non-research machine learning roles and i yeah. think the industry is getting to see that you really don't don't need like a phd to work on machine learning products um or you don't need a master's work on machine learning products so uh that's one thing that i think i kind of 
disagree with and then i think everything is starting to normalize around that so you have for actual research roles without doubt having a phd kind of goes along with having a master's goes, goes along with because yeah. through those programs you get exposure to how research works and things like yeah. that so there are actually people who who do not do masters or PhD that are involved in research as well but yeah. then but then for research roles it's there's no doubt that you need research experience to do things like that but for yeah. actual product roles where you are basically working on bringing machine learning um, capabilities into the products um, yeah. emphasis on having having those research skills is often not supposed to be at, at the top level more like it should be more like having the actual engineering and, uh, or analytics skills yeah to get the job done so that's one um then i think there has been lots of um in the software engineering space lots of emphasis goes into creating frameworks or patterns say some would be like use microservices some would be like use monoliths and then lots of effort goes into lot these things um they are, they've definitely been helpful uh, so if if it fits in but then some of some of these frameworks are kind of built to work for large companies so where the companies yeah. have lots of things or lots of products or services they are they're offering but if you are a startup and then you basically try to bring in all of that knowledge down to your to your own scope where you're supposed to be moving things fast and then getting getting to the risk if your product would actually work or which customer customer market fits then then it's definitely not going to work for you so yeah. um i think those are just some of the things that i that i think i kind of disagree with uh um, yeah. yeah okay cool nice and you bought us something just like at the back of my mind interesting the disparity in terms of i mean large companies and small companies where so you talk about let me see the companies big and say that you've had both experience working for big and small cap companies and all that so in these two roles are there any difference or similarities or something you feel like for an early career it was better in this role or in this company because of the size and all that like what do you think is good let me say for people that are trying to get into machine learning right small companies big companies or from your experience which company actually let me say is a training ground for you and prepared you better i think if you're getting into machine learning uh then you don't have an option you basically take the options that come to you so yeah if if you are getting started with anything basically i do not think you'd have you'd have the luxury of picking except you've you've you somehow gain lots of skill and then you have lots of lots of things at your table um so i think someone getting will probably not even find that useful so uh just to go into the differences at a small company like you you'd likely get to have more impact on on the uh, projects you are working on uh, yeah. but then but then it also means you would be doing lots of things without um if you don't have like a senior uh, machine yeah. learning <laughs> engineer you'd not get lots yeah. of mentorship from that person exactly. and you you could possibly get things done but then you may be doing lots of things yeah, wrong the way. wrong way exactly um so there's that there's that bit uh yeah. on the positive side you get involved in lots of things as well yeah. because now you are going to be working on different projects you're going to be working on different features but the bigger company um you'd have access to a lot more talents now you can get to interact with lots of other brilliant people and then get to work on your task but at the same time it also means you you get to work on very specific things 
which can be good, which can be bad. Uh, but for me, I really do not have any preference, mainly yeah. because I've kind of put my personal learning, I've kept my personal learnings um, schedule constant, and I've taken that outside of work. So regardless yeah. of how how the work environment is, uh, and I'm still growing, yeah. I decide. So if if I'm getting to work on a very specific project at work, I take mm-hmm. advantage of that and learn as much as I can. If it's yeah. a broad project, I take advantage of that and learn as much as I can. So, so I really can't say one is better than the other. It basically mm-hmm. just depends on on who it is in that yeah. situation and and then the the culture around. If 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 you don't have lots of people who encourage you to learn or try out stuff yeah. in your team, then I think it's going to be quite hard for someone starting out mm-hmm. to do anything useful at, at that point. Yeah. And you spoke about growth, I mean, and you still have a lot of time to grow in your career. And that thought came back to the same question you spoke about, I mean, question you spoke about research and what you disagree with the industry in terms of research being valuable. So in the next future, we should be looking at it, Dr. Habib. What's the like next phase in your career that you like interest? Are you interested to go into academia to further your further, let me say, your research skills and also to prepare yourself also maybe to go into research? Be in the industry or you'll stay more at this stage just focus on product or at one point in time you may decide to do that uh, so so for me um i do not intend to go into academia but okay. then um i intend to stay on the edge when i mm. mean stay on the edge i intend to have lots of networks in academia i intend to stay up to date with whatever it is that's coming out um yeah. from the research work done in academia because i think it's very important to to stay updated with all of these changes so you can bring in all of that work into the industry and see which ones can actually be put into products because lots of the ideas you find in academia they may not be very useful today but then in a couple of years it becomes very useful and i I think i personally just find joy in doing that because now i'm getting to work on interesting things which may not be immediately useful but but it's interesting um it's valuable at some point so so i think i think that's it uh, my current role at Thompson writers is at the research lab so i'm going mm-hmm. to be having lots of exposure with to, okay to those kind of things um it's likely it's it's in in other companies they'll call it like a research engineering role yeah. um so basically just open to stay at the edge of academia and then get to work on products and and systems in the industry as well so okay wow. sounds interesting anyway <laughs> we'll be following up with that and i mean hopefully i mean in the next coming years and all that we'll also get to read maybe some papers in which you cited since you're on the edge <laughs> and also talking about <laughs> let me see that breaking that bridge between academia and and also the industry are there some events you attend or some key let me say I would say industry events, be it in academia or, or let me say industry that you do attend that sometimes. These are places where actually, let me say, you're able to meet this brilliant mind, just like what we attended last time at Pi Data, but which was more focused, I'll say, for the industry. But are there other industry events between this, I would say, as you said, right, between academia and the industry that you attend or that you feel like are some key valuable places for you to tap into academia minds? Uh, so in academia, there are lots of conferences, okay. um, and then there are lots of um, there, are, there are things called special interest groups. So 
for example, in the areas I'm interested in, which is information retrieval, there's a special interest group on information retrieval. So basically, this covers almost all of the fields that kind of fall in that field, and then and then neighboring neighboring um, fields as well. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing I did was to join a mailing list. So. I really okay. don't know how it works with other special interest groups, but mm-hmm. you want to find information with Kivala as like a mailing list, so they get to send various Google's opportunities or conferences or links to that type of thing, yeah. to that mailing okay. list, and I get to see and pick the ones that I find interesting. Um, yeah. I attended the for, if, European Thomas School on Information with Kivala this year, and okay. I got to see it was going to hold based on based on that mailing list. So yeah. I think if if you if you intend to stay in touch with academia in that way, then you could basically do the same thing. Find find um, or meet people directly, ask questions, how they get to stay in touch with others in the space. And yeah, uh, for the industry, I think I think there are lots of conferences as well. So it's. I think it's probably easier to even find those conferences because you can easily get them on Meetup or Eventbrite or platforms yeah. like that. So thank you once more for doing this. Bit. I mean, we can't have you here for the whole day and you've provided so much valuable insights and information that I feel like our users can dig on that. And obviously you'll be sharing some of those links down the notes. And But before we do, but have you some of the key advices and insights, hacks or tips you feel will be very valuable for those that are trying to get into machine learning and some of the communities you feel be valuable for them too on their part? Uh, so I think staying interested is like the first thing. Um, working on things that are kind of interesting because it's, it's a very broad field. The worst thing is um, as you dive deep, deep into a particular field, you find out that it's even broader than you thought because there's always going to be something that, that, um, that is available to learn. Then I would also say try to keep like like a T-shape. It's commonly said um, to keep a, a T-shape, meaning keeping a broad base, understanding um, certain things in various fields and having a good understanding of how those things work. And then diving deep into one part so like if you were to look at the T, you have the top part and then the, the the longer part then diving deep into one or two parts that you think would help you get better at, at machine learning or software engineering um work on side projects because um it's through side projects you'd be able to practice some of the things you've learned because depending on where, where you work you may often not get the luxury of working on all the interesting things you want um so if you, you could have like those situations as well uh get to read books so they're like different books i've read in in recent time um there's one that i often always remember which is apprenticeship patterns um okay. it's it's a guide guidance for the aspiring software craftsman i think it's a book by um adewale Oshine. um okay. so i think that book kind of goes into different bits of of being an apprentice and then keeping the, the the fire alive and 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 the drive to learn new things. So I often get to read that book every once in a while because I think I'm very well still an apprentice, uh, still learning, learning new things. Um, so I think those are like the main tips I'd have. Um, work on projects, share your work, um, 
keep learning new things network with others join communities help others as well like you it's there are sometimes that um you learn you learn from the question someone else asks you because now you really did not know it but now you get to look look it up and then learn um so I think those are just a couple of tips that i think have in mind okay. nothing special uh sadly but then yeah. i think i think everything is simple the the, the difficult part is getting it done so yeah. yeah, I think yeah, that's it. Thank you, Habib. It was really lovely having you on the show. And where so where can some of our users stay in touch with you in order to keep the fire burning as you rightly said? Are you on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook? Yes, I'm on or... Twitter. Um, okay. I'm on Twitter, Axot, H A K S O A T. Okay. Um I'm on LinkedIn as well, Habib Shupedu. Um so I think those are like the two main platforms that it's easier to get, reach out on LinkedIn anyway. So I think yeah. um, I I reply to messages faster on link, on Twitter than LinkedIn because I barely open that. Yeah. So <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, okay. We'll be sharing that in the link below. And once more, happy thanks and have a nice day. Yeah. Thank you.